Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ. Uh, what's Health IQ? Health IQ is a life insurance agency, uh, but with a very modern and cool twist, Health IQ is making life insurance fair by unlocking the value of health consciousness for the 50 million Americans who take responsibility for their health. This is especially relevant for me because as a type 1 diabetic, I've been denied life insurance coverage by other providers. Even though my A1Cs are in range, I eat Whole30 and can still kill guys 10 years younger than me on the basketball court, which is super frustrating. Health IQ can give people exclusive rates through their Health IQ quiz, and they even take into account data points from things like Fitbits and other trackers. You can learn more about Health IQ and get a free quote at healthiq.com DDT, that's D-D-T, short for Diabetics Doing Things. And if you're like, Rob, I am not really in a place where I'm thinking about life insurance, I'll tell you this. When it comes to retirement and planning for when you're not around, there's no time like the present to at least learn what you qualify for. So give it a shot. Go to healthiq.com DDT and get a free quote today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. Uh, And my very special guest today, uh, a lot of you may know him uh, already, but I'm really excited to kind of dig into some of the, uh, you know, details around his story is Brandon Denson. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. It's my pleasure, and uh, I'm really glad that we can make this happen. Um, so, Brandon, I think most of us know you as uh, as one of the few Type One diabetics who played some time in the NFL, uh, as well as Division One college football. Um, but, like I said, man, I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better, talk about your Type One journey, and then kind of dig into some of those specific uh, stories from uh, from athletics because I think that's a lot of what people are curious about when they hear about a high-performance athlete who's also a type 1. Definitely, definitely. So why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and then we can kind of dive into your diagnosis story. No problem, no problem. Well, my name is Brandon A. Denson. Uh, I was born in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is right next to that other school, uh, U of M. Uh, And currently, I work in southwest Detroit at a middle school named Voyager Academy, and I am a disciplinarian, and I also am an at-risk youth coordinator, and then I coach high school football as well. Fantastic. And I think, uh, you know, for those who don't know, you know, you went to Michigan State, so you're a Spart dog, Spart nation. Uh, so we can't <laughs> oh, even talk about that other day, Michigan school. That's great. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I've had a, a lot of really close friends who were Michigan State fans over the years, and then obviously, you know, the Mateen Cleaves, Jason Richardson days, uh, big fans oh, of Michigan man, State basketball. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, baby. That's so, champions. <laughs> so growing up in uh, growing up in Michigan, uh, you know, you and I talked a little bit before we went on uh, the recording. Uh, you were diagnosed in high school. Yep. Uh, so tell talk a little bit about yes. you know what it was like, uh, just your diagnosis, but then also being diagnosed in the middle of uh, your athletic career. Oh man, it was uh, it definitely was challenging. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't challenging, but I think. Um, 
I had that support from obviously my mother because um, my parents had split, and I also had that support from my my friends, my teammates, and also my close family members. Um, but it was a it, it it was something I always embraced the talents. So like going to the doctor and then leaving the doctor and going to the hospital and the doctor actually telling telling me what was wrong like i like i was di- i was being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the time i just took it as like okay and you know but as i started living with it and i realized you know all the complications that can come from not taking care of it and you know doing the things and eating right and exercising and things like that it made me think like i don't I want to be able to grow old, but I don't want to grow old and have complications, you know. So I wanted to be able to control everything that I can control. So I never let it stop me from playing sports or being active because I always was very active growing up. But at the time when I was diagnosed at the age of 17, going into my senior year, not knowing what university I was going to, not knowing if I was still going to play football, not knowing a lot of not knowing, you know. So it was just one of those things no there uh, a good timing to be but at that current time like it's just the worst possible time also coming off a of knee surgery so it was just so many different things going on and it just you know it was just one of those yeah and i think you know you seem like a guy uh who because you said this i think twice already that just embrace challenges as they come and really don't make excuses but you know, looking back, that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure for somebody who's 17. Uh, for those who don't know, like leading into that junior senior year of high school time frame, deciding on a school, trying to decide whether you're going to exactly. continue to play sports. Uh, you you mentioned coming off of an injury as well as a type one diagnosis. That's just a lot to juggle. Um, and for me personally, yeah. I, I think you know it's it's an interesting time to be that age because you make a lot of decisions then that affect the rest of your life, whether you know it or not at the time. Um, and it's just a pivotal time. So for you, do you remember, you know, going into, because football season starts in, in the late summer, um, and, you know, and you're working out all, yep. all, the, all the time before that. What, um, you know, coming out of the diagnosis, did you just embrace it and say, hey, I'm going to take this all in stride? Or were there times that you remember where it was, you know, just learning about what, what it was going to be like monitoring your sugars and insulin intake? Uh, I mean, um, so to kind of retract a little bit, when, like when I was first diagnosed, uh, prior to the diagnosis, uh, I was urinating a lot, and I knew I wasn't that active because I just came and I wasn't. And uh, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was at a friend's house, and we were playing a game of Madden on five-minute quarters, so that's a 20-minute game of Madden. And I probably used it bad. 15 times within that 20 minutes of playing um so that kind of like something was wrong so when i got home i drove home i let my mother know and she said if it continued the next day you know let her know immediately and it did so i noticed it long before we hit the field at practice and you know i was like i had already used the bathroom times i called to come home came home drove home and then she took me to my primary care physician. Once we got there, I had to use the bathroom and tones in my urine, which at that time I had no clue what was going on or anything. Didn't know anything about it. All I remember, the doctor ended up coming back in with the nurse and was like, we need you to take him to the hospital immediately. Okay. 
So my blood sugar was, once I got to the hospital, they checked my blood sugar. It was about almost a 1,000. It was just one of those things like, man, this is crazy. And then the nurse came in. She gave me a shot. I hate shots. And, and it was just, it was just one of those things, like, I just got blitzed with everything all at once. And it was just like, 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 what do I do? Like, the only thing I could do is, like, just take control of everything and just try to absorb everything and listen. And, you know, and I hate hospitals. So, like, I ended up having to stay the night in the hospital. And my brother came up there, visited me, and played some video games with me. I think at the time it was, like, PlayStation 2. He didn't pick up. He would his brother and just be there for me as much as he could. But, uh, you know, I, I learned in the hospital that night, and I, mean, I literally stayed up all night because I, they said I wouldn't get discharged until, like, I knew how to get myself insulin. I knew how to check my blood sugar, you know. It, it, and it was a lot, but it was one of those things. It was like, this is the only one that it's going to affect directly is me, and the only one that's in direct control of it is me. So, you know, just from... Being in the hospital, seeing my mother cry from when the doctor came in to tell us that I was I was being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, it was just one of those things. Like, when I looked her in her eyes, and I told her, and she looked and stared back at my eyes, and I just told her, I said, we're going to be okay. I promise you we're going to be okay. So, Yeah, and I think that's an important moment for, you know, and specifically with, you know, athletes, I think you're, that type of mentality kind of comes with that territory sometimes. But I think for people who... Exactly who are in that position and that's maybe the first time they've had to make a decision like that or come to that realization that they have to take ownership of those situations. Uh, and it's interesting because I think people with diabetes and type one, uh, when they get diagnosed younger, I see those kids and I'm sure you feel the same way when you talk to kids who are, you know, 10, uh, 11 years old, they feel more mature and more like more like little adults because they have to make those decisions for themselves as well. Um, exactly. I want to I want to focus on two things that you mentioned. Uh, number one, that that Madden story is funny because it gives you that time frame, so you know that in that twenty minutes, <laughs> you, you got up fifteen times, which I'm sure your friend was just so confused uh, and thrown <laughs> off by that. Yeah, um, I, I had a similar. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're probably just like, man, what's going on? Like every series, almost you're going to the bathroom two or three times. Uh, I had a similar exactly. experience. Uh, I went and saw The Aviator with a couple of my friends, which is like a a three-hour movie. And I hated it. And for years, I didn't know why I hated it so much. And then I remember, like, I got up (laughs) probably 40 times. Like, every time I'd make it back to my seat, I'd have to get back up again. Which uh, the worst. It's the worst, right? It's the worst. And you and like you said, you know, you don't really know what's going on. Um, I, I'm I'm sure most people experience a lot of weight loss. I'm sure with a high blood sugar like that, uh, you know, you you experience something like that. If if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it wasn't a lot, but, but uh, definitely, you know, you could tell. You know, just probably, I guess, it just the the from like dehydration and things like that. You know. Yeah, it was very similar. When I when I got diagnosed, I, they like hook you up to the saline bag, and my body just drank all that water. I probably gained fifteen pounds yeah. just right there. Um, the other interesting thing I wanted to to ask because I think uh, a lot of people hear this uh, in in the type one world is that you were afraid of needles uh, before you were diagnosed. <laughs> I'm not afraid of them. I just don't like them. <laughs> 
Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, so that, that that my mistake there. So you don't like them. So how long did it take you to sort of adjust to needles being a part of your life? Um, I mean, I adjusted pretty quick. I just don't like. I never really liked shots going to the doctor, going to the hospital. Because every time I would go to the doctor, or the hospital, it's like something crazy. Is either I broke something or like I'm really really sick. So it's like I just never had a good experience at the doctor, you know, or the hospital. Yeah, and I would say anybody that does have a good experience with needles at the doctor, like let me know because I feel like every, every time I got a shot. Now that you mention it, I remember specifically a doctor would like draw like a smiley face on your hand or or like on oh, your man. arm. He'd be like, "Well, what's missing?" And I'd be like, "The nose." And he just gives you the shot like right where the nose would be. Yeah, yeah. That's just cruel. I hope that doesn't happen anymore. But I definitely remember that happening. Oh man, just wild, wild stuff at the doctors. But uh, yeah, that's so that's, that's interesting. I think. Um, and I'm sure you, a lot of people, uh, when you encounter, when you're talking to people who don't have type 1, that's one of the things that they comment on. It's like, oh, well, I could do that, but I don't like shots, right? I, uh, I couldn't exactly. do the needles. Exactly. So, you know, after you after you get out of the hospital, um, you, you get all the, the education, they release you, um, I'm, you're feeling better, you're kind of on, on the right path. What were, what were the next, you know, few months, year like for you as you were – Going into your senior year, uh, adjusting with your friends, and I think you said you know your friends and teammates are very supportive. Uh, but then when you get to yep. that kind of deciding on where to go to school, what was that like? It was a it was an interesting transition, um, just because I had several schools that I wanted to attend and I was able to actually uh, get accepted into, but I knew the reality of if me walking onto a university and I had my mind set on going D one. I said realistically if I if I leave if I leave the state, my tuition to pay for school is gonna be crazy high. So that's when I kind of started thinking again, like schools in Michigan that I would like to attend. And I came up with Michigan State. One, it's not that far from where I grew up at. But it's far enough to where I'm not at home, so um, it, it, that ended up being my my top choice. Um, but it, it was just it was a it was just a lot a lot that went into factoring in that decision as far as <clears throat> being able to have access to get get back to my mother if I needed to, or get back home for my brother um, and my niece. You know, so I didn't want to be too crazy far, but I also wanted to be far far enough um to where if i needed anything or they needed anything you know i could be assistance or you know of help towards them um but that, i mean that 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 was that was really it for the most part all right we're going to try something different here at about the midway point of this interview we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast but i just wanted to give another plug to health iq Really, Health IQ is just like car insurance, but for life insurance. And let me explain. It's like if you're a safe driver, you get more competitive rates. That makes sense. Uh, Health IQ just takes into account an overall healthy lifestyle and passes those savings along. It's that simple. Plus, it's good for you. The American Heart Association reports that an overall healthy lifestyle is associated with nearly 60% lower risk of mortality by cardiovascular disease. That's always good news. So get the rewards for living that healthy lifestyle. 
Check out healthiq.com slash DDT today. And now we'll get back to the episode. And then I think, you know, like like every college athlete experiences really in the first like few days that they're on campus or practicing with the team, uh, it's that adjustment to the speed of the game and just like the new environment that you're in. And I think no matter how, how much you think you're ready, there's always that, that surprise, right? When you step on, <laughs> step in the, in the locker room and on oh. the field or on the court for the first time. Uh, what was that like for, sure. for you? Uh, especially, you know, obviously from like an athletic standpoint, but also from a, you know, diabetes standpoint, how did you prepare for that? Um, the thing is, I mean, you never know really what you're going to get yourself into until, you know, you're at that stage. You see things on TV, you read things in the media, in the newspapers, magazines. You really can't, like words can't sum up what that feeling is, like that first practice or, you know, running out the tunnel at that first game or anything like that. You know, combined with everything, uh, being anxious, nervous, happy, excited, you know, <clears throat> and then dealing with, you know, also dealing with type 1 diabetes is like, it, it, it's kind of like, for me, it was like my safe haven. Like, people knew, but it was okay. And outside of football, people knew and it was okay. But once I get into that field and I'm on that field, it's like, look, it's 110 miles an hour for however many hours practice is. Like, you're going to get me nonstop. Until it's over, like and that's practice, games, anything, you know. And I think that was one thing about me. I I love sports and I love I love just being active in general. I think football is one of those things that kind of helped me probably cope with my diabetes because it was like it doesn't matter. Yeah, I I have to take shots every day, every time I eat, but it doesn't change anything about me that I do anything. That this is the only thing that's different that I do than, than everybody else, you know? So it was like one of those things, like I didn't have a label on me. I was just out there branding a this and just out there running around, having fun, playing football. You don't see a diabetes attached to that. You know what I mean? So that, that for me, it, it was just like, I, I never thought that it was too much for me to do. Even after being diagnosed with diabetes, it was kind of one of those things like, yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to eat that. Oh, you can't play that because you had diabetes. Like, well, let me show you better than I can tell you type of thing. Right. And I think that's a really strong mentality and way of looking at it, right? Because no matter what your activity is or what your passion is, you're going to run into people who will have questions about it or who will question whether you should do something or not. Um, and I think ultimately, like, you just have to make those decisions to say, I'm going to I'm going to do this in spite of my diabetes and I'm going to take care of myself in spite of it. Because uh, the other part on the other end of it is that like the, your opponent, you go out and you play some football, play football or basketball. They don't know that you're type one. They're not going to take it easy on you. Uh, and you know, there, it's not a handicap, right? So um, no. out there, almost everyone is equal. And I think that's what I liked the most about going off to college and playing basketball was that, you know, for two or three hours, yeah, it was hard and it was strenuous. And there were times where I had to go sit out, grab out Gatorade or, or give myself a shot on the sideline. But for that, yeah. like two or three hours, everybody was the same. There was no, there were no labels. Yeah. There was no disease. There was no, you know, constant, you know, adjustment or worry. It was just a go out and do what you love to do. Go have fun. Yeah, man. Cause that's the, that's the best part. 
that that's that is the the absolute best part. And I think that's the that's the one thing that I try to relate to kids. Like no matter what, you you have to have fun. And I try to relate to the parents is you have to let the kids be kids. You know you have to. Like I understand I don't have kids, but I understand. You know I understand the parents. I know how my mother is and how she was and how she still is. But the thing is, you have to let the kids be kids. You have to let them live. You can't be scared to let them do things. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, point of conversation because I I talk to a lot of kids as well and parents at JDRF events, and you know, with all it, it's interesting because I think we li- we do live in the best time to have type one. Uh, there's so much you know great technology coming out. Uh, you know, there's everything is for better control. Um, there's a lot more awareness and education, and I think all of those things are great. But there's also the the side effect of that. I think unintended consequence is that you know parents can monitor their kids a lot closer, uh, whether that's uh, kids who are in college or away from home, or you know younger kids who are at school. And sometimes you know that sort of helicopter parent mentality takes over, um, and you try to control everything. You start living kind of through fear. So. How do you, how did you balance exactly. that? Like, did you do you remember conversations that you had with your mom, kind of when you, either when you were at school or or whenever? Obviously, you were a little bit older, but um, yeah, you know, what are those things that? Because I remember having yell yelling conversations over the phone with my parents when I was in college, <laughs> just like you know hashing it out about you know going out or whatever whatever it yeah. ends up being or eating the wrong things and uh, you know what 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 do you tell those parents and how would you how would you tell them to, you know, that there is a balance between, you know, over monitoring and then letting kids be kids? I mean, the, the thing is, you know, it, it's kind of hard to overstep that boundary. You know what I mean? But you also have to, you have to understand the society we live in and things that go on and take place and things like that. Um, for me, with me and my mother, I've always been very, very open with her about everything. So, you know, she's, you know, she is my best friend, you know, so far as anything going on, she she knew, but it never was like she never was on me like super tough because she knew. Like how 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 my father and my mother raised me like there's a there's a sense of accountability, discipline, respect, you know, so it never was one of those things where she had to be like, oh, did you take your insulin? Are you taking your insulin calling me? You know, those were things that were expected that I was going to do, you know what I mean? But she always checked on me. It's not like she didn't care, but she knew that I was old enough and mature enough to take care of the things I need to take care of, you know, so <clears throat> dealing dealing with parents and dealing with kids, sometimes it can be it can be kind of tough because you get those you get those kids nowadays like like leave me alone like I know what I'm doing you know like God like why are you always bothering me but it's one of those things like because my teammates used to do this when I was in high school and my friends my close friends would always ask like what am I doing why am I checking this why am I doing this and I thought about like it's kind of annoying but then I actually thought about it again I'm like they're really only asking because they actually genuinely care they want to know what's going on right you know so so i mean that's and that's what it comes down to as parents they they know their kids the best so they know if they're going to take care of those certain things so you just got to kind of find that balance on like 
on like harping on on the kids to to take care of it and then just kind of casually sliding things in there like oh did you do this you know instead of always being on them like give them give them the benefit of the doubt that they're taking care of what they need to take care of unless you're seeing something otherwise or being told otherwise yeah and i think that's one of those things like building trust there's no real formula for it it takes a lot of time and and a lot of i think investment from both sides so, you know, being, you know, being a kid and kind of having those angsty teenager feelings sometimes uh, can be difficult. But, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about, you know, your mom is your best friend and you really trusted her. That That's independent of diabetes. That's just the relationship that you guys had. Yeah. Uh, and I think beneficial to you both, you know, outside and inside of diabetes. For sure. That's interesting what you said about uh, like your friends and teammates, uh, you know, asking you questions and um, because I, I had a similar moment where uh, one of my teammates, I think it was my freshman year of college, asked me a very like simple question, I think, about like my pens or like giving a shot or something. <laughs> and I like snapped at him just like really like, man, a super over the top, like mad, angry reaction. And like years from now, like I still remember like that exact moment, like where we were and I, and I still feel bad about it. Cause I didn't know, like he genuinely was like a super nice guy and just was interested in like, you know, making, not even making sure that I was taking care of myself, but how I did it and, and what the, you know, just curious really. And, uh, exactly. I just like way over blew the, uh, like overreacted and over and just, you know, blew it out of proportion. But uh yeah i just remember those moments and like now i think looking back it, it's hard to you know you don't know what you don't know and i didn't exactly. know anything about type one before i was diagnosed and so uh, you gotta kind of put yourself in the other people's shoes sometimes when you when they get down those uh those questions exactly exactly it makes you look it makes you look at things a little bit differently you know just because you know they they don't know you know what i mean it's like it's like one of those things like you hear something, somebody say something crazy about something that a type one diabetic can't eat or do or something. It was like, like, where'd you get that from? You know, so it's almost like we expect them to know it, but we know they don't know it, you know. So. Right. Yeah, that's interesting that we do. We, we just hope that they do or maybe we feel like they should. Uh, but yeah. just, you know, deep down, we know they really don't. We've got to remember that. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about college and about, uh, you know, about sports. Obviously, uh, you were, were very fortunate and one of the few players to go on and play after uh, college football uh, and play in the yes. NFL. Uh, what was that process I played like? In the, I played in the Canadian Football League, too, as well, in the, in the, in the CFL. Great. So, yeah, and, and I mean, even first of all, for people who don't know, like playing professional sports after, you know, after college, there's <laughs> it's a small enough percentage of people who go play high level division one football, even lower percentage. So one percent of one percent go on to play as their job later on. Exactly. Uh, so walk me through sort of that process. When did you know that was going to be what you what you were chasing after and that was an opportunity for you? Uh, and what was it like? Uh, and then, you know, when did you kind of realize, like, hey, I uh, I am a type 1 diabetic and I'm a professional football player? Um, I think I think it really, really hit me because I walked on at Michigan State University. So I wasn't I wasn't a scholarship player. Um, I wasn't recruited by Michigan State. I just I had the grades to get into school and it was something that I wanted to pursue. Um Michigan State, I had a little bit of film on me from high school, so they knew a little bit about me. 
and I ended up being a preferred walk-on, um, which is that I didn't have to try out for the team or anything like that. Um, I was awarded a spot um, in the 105 during training camp. <clears throat> so that was that was that was pretty huge. Um, but I would say, just throughout that first year of grinding my red my uh, the, the, my first year the, my red shirt year, um, it just taught me a lot in, in general what I was missing um, and what I what I lacked from <clears throat> from high school. You know, stepping up to the next level, um, just from films, from film, from uh, just overall becoming a, a student of the game. Um, which is obviously as you go up in levels, you know, you may not be doing as much physical activity or anything like that. You, you got to kind of train your body um, to be ready to go, at, you know, at, at competition time, but also be a student in the game from a lot of film. Um, <clears throat> after I would say after my red shirt year, I end up playing my my red shirt freshman year. And I was primarily on special teams, and I think my first, my first, my first play ever on special teams, or first play in Spartan Stadium, um, was versus Illinois. And I remember like it was yesterday. I was just running down as fast as I could on kickoff, and uh, and and I just remember smacking one of the Illinois players that, that was running the ball. I forgot who it was at the time, and uh, I think once I got up. And, and 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 I thought about it. I was like, man, I, I think I want to try to do this as a career, you know. So it was like one of those moments. Like I've been fighting to get out here on this field. I'm a type one diabetic. Like I've been doing everything everybody said that I couldn't do. They people said I, I couldn't go to Michigan State and play. People said I couldn't walk on. People said I wasn't good enough for the team. People were saying all type of things like you're crazy. And it was just like one of those moments. Was like. Like I made it. I'm here in school. Like I'm here doing everything that, that that I said I was gonna do. You know, even though everybody was against me, and the odds I feel were stacked against me as well. You know, with being diagnosed so late, not knowing what school I wanted to go to, and not having any Division One offers at all on the table, or I didn't have any offers anywhere. So you know, I think that's what kind of just kept me going. You know, I've always been very, very, very humble about everything because you know I look at it like. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't think that you're better than anybody. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's funny you kind of have that like love at first sight mentality, right? You get up, why not? Why not chase it as a career, right? <laughs> you've already you've already proven everybody wrong, and it's just exactly. your, your first snap at home, uh, your redshirt freshman year. Why not take it all the way? Exactly. That's cool. So uh, obviously, you you played the played out the rest of your career at Michigan State, um, I, and I apologize for not knowing this ahead of time. Uh, Michigan State football is uh, <laughs> obviously fantastic. Big Ten football. Uh, the years that you were there, uh, what big games do you remember? What big moments that uh, that people who are at least uh, college football fans that are listening <laughs> might might remember? <laughs> uh let's see you want the good and the bad hey give me the good and the bad man i just <laughs> I, i'm here i'm here to dig into everything okay so two years under john Neal, um which was you know completely different than playing under mark d'antonio which is the head coach at michigan state now 
um, two different coaches, two different coaching personnel, um, two different offenses, two different defenses. Um, so completely different, a different, completely different personalities, everything. Both great coaches, though. So don't take anything from John L. or from um, the discredit uh, Mark Antonio as well. Um, both coaches. Um, but under John L., uh, we were kind of having a little bit of trouble uh, winning some games and things like that. <clears throat> but I do, I do absolutely remember this game because we were soaking wet on, on the sideline. I think we were up by 18 points versus Notre Dame. Drew Stanton was the quarterback for uh, Michigan State, and, and I think Brady Quinn was the quarterback for Notre Dame. And I think we're up 18 points. It was pouring down raining. We were running the ball with Javon Ringer the whole game throwing it uh, before it started raining. And then all of a sudden, we got real conservative, and Notre Dame came back, and they beat us. Uh, and it was just – it was insane because the year before, we beat them in overtime with Jason T catching a uh, a little uh, screen pass, and he took it all the way to the, to the house uh, at, at Notre Dame. So it was kind of like – kind of like they got their revenge on us. But uh, I, I, I never can cannot talk about uh, – <laughs> playing a happy valley and all, uh, almost getting a big 10 championship as a junior um and I, I think that one out of wins and losses that one stings the most because it, it was kind of upsetting because I, I feel like um myself didn't show up and a lot of other uh teammates didn't show up for that game I think we kind of just kind of took it for granted um that we were gonna go out there and win that game but uh I had some I had some success versus the the guys up the street in Ann Arbor. Um, I was I was able to uh, actually beat them uh, twice um, during the four times that I was able to play against them. Um, so I'm I'm fifty fifty. Uh, really should really should be three out of four, but uh, it, it, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm trying to remember. I'm sure that I watched that Notre Dame with uh, Brady Quinn. I remember a rainy game, but it couldn't have been. I, I can't be sure. A, a few things have happened since then, and, and for me, yeah. you know, tough to remember. But uh, obviously, some awesome moments. Uh, you know, playing in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, college Definitely. football, pretty awesome. Um, okay, so from there, you you graduate. You got uh, you you got fifty fifty splitting against uh, that other Michigan school, uh, and uh, and you're like, okay, well, let's. Uh, I've already done. I've already gone this far. Um, you know, to, went went from a you know a walk on to uh, to a starter. What what do you, what was your pro, you know as you got out of it? What were your prospects, and how did you sort of prepare for the next level? far as going uh to play professionally yes um so you know once i once i realized uh that i actually wanted to do it going into my senior year um i think i had one class uh in the spring so i ended up taking an independent study and i left the university and i went to go train in chicago um to get ready for which at that time would have been the 2010 draft um, I, I really wasn't so gung-ho about getting drafted. I really wasn't worried about that. I was more so just worried about, like at Michigan State, just getting a, just getting a, a, a opportunity. That's all I needed. Um, I, I really didn't care if I got drafted or anything like that because 
even if I did get drafted, it, it wouldn't change my approach on what I was trying to do and what I was trying to accomplish. You know, it, it's nothing to take away from people that get drafted, but that for me, my goal was to play college ball, honestly, and and I was able to do that. But once I started playing college ball and I earned a three-year scholarship um, after my sophomore year, um, it was one of those things that was like, you know what, I actually want to try to do this. You know, I was on that platform and, you know, I had the resources to try to do it. You know, so I was like, I have nothing to lose. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, I, I lived out my dream and that was to play collegiate football. Um, but far as planning to get to the next level, once I realized that that's what I wanted to do and I went out to Chicago to train, um, it was just really getting me ready um, for stuff that you typically don't do for football. So combine drills, so you have position drills, um, you, uh, as far as actually being on the field doing drills, a coach taking you through specific drills, and then you have uh, obviously your 40-yard dash, then you have your uh, three-cone, you have your short shuttle, and then you also have your long your long shuttle as well. Um, so it was just, uh, when I went to Chicago, it was just really training me on how to do those things because obviously scouts do like to look at the numbers, even though numbers can lie um, because 40, a 40 yard dash doesn't mean that someone can't play football or, you know, is, is a, a terrible person off the field or, you know, so many different things that they use different, different tests for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about being able to line up and, you know, put your best 11 out there versus the other 11 and just play. 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think in that same kind of vein, Kevin Durant was talking about earlier this summer about uh, bench press because he couldn't bench press 185 when he got drafted. Uh, and then he just rattled off a bunch of names of guys who benched 225 in that draft or, you know, 185 50 times or whatever that aren't in the league anymore. Exactly. Uh, so, it's, you know, those tests are somewhat arbitrary in those draft moments. So for you, uh, you know, that taking that mindset, um, you train, you train all that time. Um, when did that kind of, you know, when did, when did that approach, I guess, pay, I don't want to say pay off. Cause you said you, like you said, already you had exceeded your expectation and lived your dream. So, um, take us through like preparing for, you know, the draft and getting ready for like pro days and things like that to, um, you sign, you sign your first professional contract and, and did you have a moment similar to when you played at home and had that first special teams hit that, Hey, this is, this is something that I really like and really enjoy. Um, I would definitely say uh, the so from going from high school to college and college to to the pros, um, it was kind of derailed a little bit because I didn't I didn't end up signing with the NFL team right away, and uh, I pretty much sat out of football. I didn't stop training, but I ended up sitting out of football from pretty much once I graduated. Didn't get didn't get didn't sign didn't get drafted in that draft or didn't didn't sign as a free agent. So I pretty much set out of set out of football, pretty much a little over a year, and then I signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Canadian Football League. Um, but at that time, when I had an opportunity to work out for them, um, my training had switched up a lot significantly, and it was more catered to exactly what I needed. Um, specifically to make me better as a football player um, on and off the field. And, and I, had a, I had a very similar 
approach to my sort of professional basketball career as well. I, I missed in like 18 months without playing in a competitive basketball scenario, but was able to, much like it sounds like you did, tweak my training to address the things that the feedback that I got from agents or scouts or teams and and really focus on that. What were those things for you and how, uh, because I think working on your weaknesses, I mean, we all, we, we all talk about it a lot, but when you're forced to like break it down, and like that's your every day. Uh, what was that like for you, like mentally to, you know, every you know because all these other things are going on as well. How did you, you know, was was it the same approach as always? Hey, I'm gonna. They say I can't do this. I'm gonna do it. I mean, most definitely. I mean, I get. I guess I I'll be lying if I said I don't like proving people wrong, but I do. Uh, you know, but it's just it's just one of those things, like when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And, like, if I fall short, I'm going to figure out a way to get it done, you know, because I never look at it. You, you can never look at things like you fail because you really haven't failed. You just have to find another way to actually figure it out or accomplish it. You know what I mean? So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, oh, somebody said that I can't do it, so I can't. It just – or maybe they said I can't do it, and I didn't get it right, but that doesn't mean that I can't do it, you know? And are you wired that way, or, or is that something that you you learned growing up with your with your mom and your dad? Is that is that learned, or is that just sort of an innate character, a characteristic of yours? Uh, I, I definitely don't, won't say it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's learned. I would, I would have to say... Um, did it get progressively worse over the years probably <laughs> from having from having an older brother? So I think that's where the challenge comes from. And my brother's five years older than me. It's not a it's not a big jump, but it really is when you look at it. I mean, you look at it when you look at it from zero to five. He's five, and then I'm one. And then you know you look at it from five to ten, and then ten to fifteen. Like that's a big jump, fifteen and twenty. So you know those things. I I always had to like man, you're not better than me type of thing. Like, you know, like that's how I had to prove myself growing up, not just to my brother, but I had to prove it to his friends as well. So that competitive nature that like, like I can do this better than you type of thing, like not cocky about it, but just humble. Like I can do this. Like this is nothing, you know? So it's just, that's just how I am. I, I feel like I've always been that way. No, it's cool. I always always want to ask. It's because it's it's one of those things that's hard to learn, you know. It's unless uh, unless you just choose, you know a hundred thousand choices over the years. Yeah. Like I'm gonna do this. No, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I am gonna try to beat you. Hey, it's uh, just like uh, it's just like effort and toughness. I feel like those are two things that can't be learned. Either you just tough and you tough, and and you got effort. And it's really nothing with effort. Effort isn't taught. It's just a mindset. Yeah, it is, and I think you know now. Now you're on the other side of things, right? You're coaching. Exactly. How do you and, and do you, you know? You could rattle off a list of names of who's tough and who's not right now, 100, <laughs> percent right? I won't make you do that, uh, but uh, but you but you know, right? Yeah. Uh, that's that's Definitely. cool. Yeah, you Definitely. always know. Um, Definitely. All right, let's shift gears a little bit because uh, you know, you're we we've talked a lot about football, which is great because I don't get to do that very much on my podcast <laughs> normally. Which so uh, so thank you for that. But no, uh, no problem. 
let's talk a little bit about your advocacy work because you've had a busy year, um, you know, yes. kind of just keeping up with you through social media. Um, you've taken a couple trips to Washington, D.C. You're very involved in your uh, Detroit chapter of JDRF. Yes. Um, how has your you know, role shifted uh, from an advocacy perspective in the last few years? Um, I would definitely say it's been um, it's definitely been accelerated, but that's a good thing because I enjoy what I do and it doesn't feel like work to me. You know, anytime I'm able to, you know, go talk to a family or talk to a teenager or talk to a teenager's friend about, you know, dealing with certain things and, you know, them just wanting to actually get insight on things that I've done or things that, you know, just asking questions in general uh, about the disease or just trying to figure things out. Because, you know, I, I feel like life is a learning process, but I also feel like diabetes is a learning process, too, because just when we think we mastered it, then it goes complete, completely. And then it's like back to square one. What do you do now? You know, I totally agree, man. That's uh, that's really the only way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's, there's, it's interesting that what you say, you know, um, a lot of people are looking for, I think people our age especially look for, you know, what, what is that thing where they can go to work every day and not, not make it feel like work. Uh, exactly. and I think you, you hit the nail right on the head when, uh, when you're talking about advocacy and about helping other people, um, because it's that that's what it's all about, right? Just that one piece of advice, that one story that resonates with you, that one person that you look up to and you hear about their mindset and you and you try to emulate it uh, can make a huge difference. Um, so for you, you know, what do you what are you hopeful for from a diabetes perspective, either from uh, in the community or um, you know from a technology standpoint over the next, you know, what are you looking what are you looking forward to? I mean, I think I, I, I think, I, I think you, you know the answer to that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, just like everybody else living with this disease, and the people that aren't living with this disease, um, but the people that care for people that live with this dreadful disease, um, I'm looking for a cure, just like everybody else. You know, I feel like we, we're getting closer and closer. Um, but you know, I don't think everybody's gonna be like completely stress-free stress free, and not worry until we're not connected to an insulin pump or we're not taking insulin out of syringe or we're not, you know, doing a crazy study to, you know, try to figure out um, how can we get this pancreas back on, on board or, you know, things of that nature. You know, the medical companies, Dexcom, Medtronic, Animus, Tandem, um, Omnipod, I mean, they do great great things for individuals and i'm talking about brings brings a whole another dynamic to life uh of being able to just be free you know be free i feel like with a pump i'm free i feel like uh i, I know that's just me speaking but um i know some people rather have injections you know but the, the the biggest thing is just with with any medical device just being able to feel comfortable being able to go on about your day you know like like nothing like 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 you don't have a disease you know that that's what it's about being able to fit in you know flawlessly and effortlessly and you know i think that the metal the medical companies have have, have come a long way even from my diagnosis our diagnosis you know i, I feel like i mean I, I feel like they're doing a great job but i feel like the, the the true weight off the shoulders off of people's shoulders family shoulders you know won't rest until 
you know, we actually find a cure. Yeah, I think um, I think we're all looking forward to the cure if we're really honest about it, right? <laughs> and yeah, but you're right. I, I think I, the the increases in diabetes care, even in the last 13 years or so since I was diagnosed, since uh, yeah. Uh, and I guess almost 15 for you maybe, but it was, uh, you know, the, I, my life's totally different. My treatment's totally different. I have a cool meter and, uh, you know, I have <laughs> CGM, CGM yeah. options available, like that I never thought even, or never even knew existed back then. So, I mean, um, yeah, I know. I mean, just, I, I remember like four o'clock in the morning and like the nurses had just changed when I first got diagnosed and I, I was only in the hospital for a day. Well, the day I went up there and then that night and I left the next morning. But I, I remember the nurse came in like four o'clock when they switched and she was like, yeah. So did, did they tell you about, you know, um, the, the, the insulin pump, you know, it's a machine you put in how many cars and it gives you insulin. I said, no, they didn't tell me anything about that. She was like, Oh, they didn't. I was like, no, are they trying to hide it from here? So she's like, Oh, they probably didn't tell you because, Typically, they want you to take injections for a year, and then and then you switch, you know, to to insulin pump if you want to. And when I say like when she told me that because I love technology, I was like I got to get one of those. And literally, <laughs> literally, I'm talking about probably a a year. No, from when I from when I got diagnosed, and I went up to Michigan State, I probably had one probably a year and like three months. I had an insulin pump. <laughs> yeah, you were on it. A year passed, and you had to have it. Huh? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I uh, I'm about to switch. So I've had a pump now for almost nine years, and uh, and I'm about to get a new. I'm about to get on the Medtronic 670 with the with the closed loop system. So I'm super hyped. I'm super hyped about that because my my pump's been great. But uh, don't beat me up, man. Because mine when I was at Children's Congress, they gave me a call, and I was like, I don't typically get Texas numbers, but then they called me right back. And they end up being Medtronic, and they were letting me know that they were sending my 670. They just wanted to make sure they had the right address on file. So I was like, I was I was super super geek, but uh, like I said, don't beat me up. It's still sitting in the box right now. Because <laughs> I'm still waiting for sensors. I yeah. haven't got any sensors yet. So people are like, no, just wear it. I'm like, I'm not gonna wear it until I have my sensor, so right. I can use every bell and whistle on this thing. Well, and you know, you know why the sensors aren't there, right? No, why? So, so they their sensor factory is in Puerto Rico, oh. so they can't even get to the factory because the the whole you know the hurricane just tore yeah. Puerto Rico up. So wow. Uh, so they're like you know they're really scrambling. I was actually out at Medtronic uh, last week, and okay. they. Uh, they were like, yeah, I mean, there's just nothing we can do. There's like all of the regular because there are hurricanes all the time in the Caribbean, but yeah. they they said all their regular hurricane protocols failed. It was this huge disaster. So they're working through it, but yeah, nobody has sensors right now. There's a big shortage. So, but the 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 other the crazy part about it when I first heard about the pump, they were saying like the pumps were scarce, as far as those going on, right. and then it ended up being the sensors. So it was like they they picked up on the on the everybody wanted the pump. And then, you know, and then the sensor thing happened, you know, with the hurricanes and stuff. Yeah, it's classic diabetes, right? Just <laughs> just when you think you have it, something crazy happens. You know, right? <laughs> Great. Well, Brandon, I have I have one last question for you, and it's a question that okay. I ask all my guests. Um, and I, I usually get, you know, a couple different types of answers, but I'm really looking forward to yours. So the context is important. So uh, you're in an airport, 
and they're yes. about to close the door to your gate. So you got about 30 seconds before they close the door to the, to the gate to the flight that you're about to get on, and you can't miss the flight. Whatever's on the other end is super important. Uh, but you run, but, but you run into somebody who uh, has either been recently diagnosed or is struggling with their diabetes. And uh, so you got 30 seconds. What's the one thing that you tell them? The one thing I'm gonna the one thing I, I'm gonna tell them in one word. Just one no, no, word no. It can be it can be one thing. It doesn't have to be one word. Just just what's the one thing you want them to know uh, that you would tell them? Any anything at all? It could even be a little bit more than 30 seconds or you know, some people just say, I, I don't want to, I'm not following your rules. I'm missing the flight. But what's the one thing you would tell them? One thing I would tell them definitely is to, even though we live with T1D, it doesn't define who we are or what we're capable of doing. Never let anyone tell you that you cannot do anything that you want to do. You can do anything that you put your mind to. I love it. Yeah, and that and that and then you make the flight. That's easy. So that, some, I flight. <laughs> you made you made the flight, and you gave them the good the good delivery, the good word, man. That's uh, some people just are like, man, Rob, I'm not following your rules. I'm just gonna sit there and talk to them. So that's fine. I like that, but that's why I asked the question. Definitely, definitely. No, but I mean, if it's something, if I feel like it's a pressing issue, even if I need to make the flight, being the the type of person that I am. Call, call me a softie. Maybe I get it from working with the kids. And sometimes I, I do have a big heart, even though I'm on them. I'm just on them because I want them to be successful. But, uh, you know, if it, if it if it's worthy of my attention or something, I don't mind. I don't mind pushing anything to the side for, you know, for somebody, their health and their well-being. Well, I definitely appreciate uh, all the work that you do. And uh, you're a fantastic advocate for T1D. And oh, thank uh, you. And man, it was great to meet you and great to chat. Um, yeah. For our guests, uh, I'm gonna tag you and put every links to all your profiles in the show notes. But uh, for okay. any, if you want, uh, if anybody wants to reach out and contact you, how do they do that? What's the best way? Uh, they can either send me an email at Denson D as in dog E N S O N the number twenty eight the letter Y as in yellow at gmail.com, or they can hit me up on Instagram which is B as in boy, underscore, underscore, Denson, D as in dog, E-N-S-O-N, or they can find me on Facebook, which is Brandon A. Denson on Facebook. Fantastic. Well, Brandon A. Denson, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, It was awesome to interview you, and uh, we'll be talking soon. All right. Sounds good.